welcome to this week's edition of the Hindus Parley, uh, our weekly podcast on contemporary policy challenges. Today we'll be discussing with our experts the implications of the export curbs that have been recently imposed on wheat and sugar and could come up in other uh, food products. Uh, these were done last month by the government as inflation rose for the fourth month in a row above the 6% tolerance span. Uh, in fact, April's inflation was nearly an eight-year high of uh, 7.8%. Uh, there are also concerns about a lower yield in certain crops, including wheat, because of the excessive heat waves experienced this year. And uh, we have with us Professor S. Mahindra Dev, who is the Director and Vice Chancellor of Indira Gandhi Institute of Development Research. Uh, he's been uh, before that, he was the chairman of the Commission for Agricultural Costs and Prices in the Ministry of Agriculture, which helps determine the minimum support price for several crops. He was also the vice chairman of the uh, Board of Trustees of International Food Policy Research Institute in Washington. Um, and he's a doctorate from the Delhi School of Economics. Uh, welcome, Professor Dave, uh, to this podcast. Uh, also accompanying him is Himanshu, Associate Professor at the JNU Center for Economic Studies uh, and Planning. It's a school of social sciences. And he's also uh, won several awards as an economist, including the C.R. Parikh Fellowship of Asia Research Center in the London School of Economics. Uh, his areas of interest include poverty, inequality, employment, agriculture, and development economics. Uh, thank you so much for agreeing, both of you, to uh, take part in this edition of the Parliament. And uh, if I may start with uh, Professor Himanshu, uh, wanted to get a sense of uh, what the export curbs mean in terms of, uh, you know, trying to address the inflation that we are seeing, especially high in food products, and also from the food security aspects uh, that India is possibly concerned about. Uh, if you could start. I think uh, as far as the inflation point is concerned, I do think the export ban is something which is going to help much. In a sense, the procurement season as far as the wheat crop where much of the inflation or inflationary worries were there, uh, that is more or less over. I don't think uh, prices are going to be cooling down uh, much simply because the inflation in wheat prices is coming because of various other factors, a lot of them from global factors but also a lot of uh, from domestic factors. And I don't think export ban is either going to help keep the prices down or to uh, help much in terms of government's ability to procure and therefore prepare better for the food security. And I must say that my objection to the farm exports and the export ban in that sense has not so much been on the policy of exports curves. I mean, many other countries are panicked and almost like 30 countries are panicking. Countries should have, as a sovereign, the right to decide what is the right time to curb exports or not to do that. My problem actually has been the kind of an ad hocism or kind of muddled policy making that we have seen. And this is not the first time, and that is why it makes it even more uh, worrying. But this has been going on for the last three decades almost, where there is absolutely no, uh, no, no justification or absolutely no planning as to how to uh, manage the trade policy in case of uh, agricultural products, but even for other products, for example. Just look at it. 
in uh, on, on 12th of may the government uh, the pib comes out with a press release saying that they are going to sending trade delegations for exploring sport opportunities to nine countries and then on 13th of may you come out with a export ban that's something which is kind of i think it's uh, not the right way of looking at it in that april you have been going to the us you have been talking to president biden your finance minister your commerce minister you are there in america saying that if not for wto we would be feeding the entire world and suddenly within a month you are now saying that no 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 we don't have enough and we now have to rest exports so it's this is which is actually a problem because it gives a very wrong signal for the domestic producers farmers particularly traders and it is certainly not good for food security simply because the the, the whatever damage was, was supposed to happen has already been i mean has, has already happened in sense uh, the government has not been able to procure whatever is required minimum requirement for managing its uh, food security apparatus including the pmgai which is an additional burden over and above the national the normal nfsa so i think uh, uh, in in a sense uh, the export one is not something which has been very helpful either in terms of managing the food security situation or in terms of laying out clearly what exactly is the trade policy as far as the producer is concerned So, Professor Dev, uh, would you agree that circumstances changed uh, significantly between April and May in terms of, you know, the estimates of wheat crop being downgraded, uh, or even between May 12 and May 13, uh, when we went from, you know, being a world's wheat exporter, uh, world's and uh, you know, hopeful wheat exporter to uh, an outright ban on uh, curbs on exports? Yeah, <clears throat> I mean the you know. uh even before uh, ukraine uh, russia war the global prices were increasing uh, uh the food food prices because of uh, excess liquidity uh, across the world uh but uh, ukraine uh, russia war uh, you know gave opportunity for india to export uh, more of wheat because as you know the export market is around uh, 200 million tons out of that 55 million tons or uh, uh, you know exported generally by uh, ukraine and russia so india exported the you know uh, previous year uh, 7 million tons so uh, everybody thought that india has a, lo- a lot of opportunity and then uh, prices open market prices were higher at uh, 2400 uh, quintal compared to msp of around 2100 so farmers were uh, you know uh, getting higher prices after a long time uh so uh, but the uh, the export ban uh you know uh has two two effects one is uh, it impacts the farmers incomes and the second is the you know the long term policy of exports uh, credibility of the policy is at stake so these are two impacts on uh, uh, exports and uh, the reasons uh, uh or given uh, or there are three reasons one is the production estimates it happened in 2006 also uh you know the they overestimate the production uh in 2006 and india had to import and procurement was uh, low and buffer stocks were around 200 2 million tons that time so, so same thing uh, now uh, you know the information also uh, i mean it was available uh many people thought uh, you know we overestimated uh, we expected 111 million tons but now we may have 99 to 100 million tons uh, production the second reason of course the procurement 
last year, I mean, previous year, uh, 44 million tons uh, procured. And uh, now uh, we are expecting around uh, 19 billion tons or so for procurement. And the third reason uh, mentioned earlier uh, is the uh, consumer price index announced on 12th March, uh, 12th May, that, uh, you know, it was uh, uh, more than 8% and food products also, it was higher. So all these three uh, reasons, I think, uh, government uh, uh, took the, you know, uh, they said because of food security. But although they mentioned that government to government, they will, uh, you know, uh, they can uh, export uh, the thing. But uh, it has, uh, you know, the hurt the farmers' incomes. Uh, and uh, the impact on inflation, um, uh, you know, may not be very high because, uh, as mentioned, uh, the global food prices are still high. And uh, but farmers uh, could have got, uh, you know, the more prices. Uh, and but instead of this uh, outright export bans, they could have done, um, you know, uh, two instruments generally mentioned. Uh, you know, one is the minimum export uh, price. They could have, uh, you know, uh, put that. And the second one is uh, for procurement. Uh, they could have given bonus of uh, 250 to 300 uh, rupees so that uh, we can have more uh, procurement from government stocks. Because food security, basically, uh, you know, two, three factors. One is, uh, you know, this, uh, we have programs like NFSA, National Food Security Act, and also the PM, uh, GKAY, the uh, Garib Kalyan uh, Anna Yojana. So, in fact, uh, during pandemic, uh, they played an important role for uh, you know reducing uh, the food insecurity of the particularly the poor and vulnerable uh, so uh, they could have increased the the procurement uh, here uh, I mean with the bonus uh, for farmers uh, regarding sugar uh, you know the uh, we have a international trade of uh, around uh, uh, exports of around 64 million tons uh, india was uh, exporting earlier last year so 8 million tons so now uh, uh, there is no shortage of uh, sugar production sugar uh, you know we have 35 million tons we are expecting and uh, even if with exports uh, we we could have still uh, closing gap uh, closing stock of around uh, 6 million tons or so so there was no need but government says uh, because of global shortage and um, you know india also uh, the prices are uh, higher so they think that uh, during festival season, uh, sugar prices should not go up. So that was the reason, I uh, think. Uh, although they, they, didn't, they didn't put uh, export ban, they put restrictions of uh, 10 million tons of uh, sugar. So in a way, uh, you know, I, we heard uh, commerce and industry and even food minister Piyush Goel uh, say a couple of days ago that, you know, wheat prices have fallen locally by about 5 rupees. Uh, uh, so the export ban is indeed working but the global community including G7 nations have been asking India to rethink uh, its export curbs especially uh, with several countries in distress with Ukraine supplies cut off so uh, you know, like you said the government has said that government to government procurement will be open uh, and will be considered on a case to case basis but I mean, is this sort of uh, damaging, like you like we indicated in the beginning, uh, Professor Himanshu, that it's slightly damaging to our global credibility uh, as an emerging supplier of choice and 
also the 5 rupee fall is uh, perhaps not yet fully justifying the extent of the move so uh, what do you make of this in terms of the broader implications for uh, the global community as well as for farmers professor himanshu obviously uh, the issues of uh, global and it's not just the global uh, credibility it's also the uh, trust factor as far as the domestic farmers are concerned and i think uh, you need to have a very stable and consistent policy for our uh, domestic farmers which are millions of them and i think i don't think that is something which is uh, uh, which is what we are providing to them obviously global credibility is there but i don't think that is important simply because india has not been a regular exporter of wheat uh, in the global market it has only been in the last 2-3 years when we had excess stocks that we have been exporting otherwise it is not that we are uh, a large exporter in the global market and we have been exporting well, a large uh, commodity but yes what i would have also liked is uh, in a sense that i agree okay so i i don't think the uh, issue of uh, uh, global credibility is the only issue that is there as far as the this farm uh, export ban is concerned i think much important and much more uh, serious issue would be the trust factor or the credibility of the government policy for our domestic farmers which are uh, our biggest stakeholders in that sense and this is something which has been happening uh, now quite often and that is what basically puts the whole issue uh, in an more uh, worrying context remember globally we are not a big uh, exporters we have not been exporting every year or we are not a big player as far as the export market of wheat is concerned only in the last 2 to 3 years that we have been exporting a large amount of it because we had excess stocks that were available in our godowns uh, but as far as uh, domestic uh, price measures are concerned that is where things get a little tricky simply because for the last few years farmers have been suffering through low prices domestically uh, due to the slowdown in the economy but also the pandemic and finally at the time when they had the time to uh, get slightly better income uh, from their produce that is when the government comes in and imposes a uh, export ban so i think it's the domestic outcomes as far as the uh, the export ban policy has uh, which is something which is worrying me and i am also worried simply because we had had options which is professor mahinder dev had already suggested that uh, we could have given an, uh, a bonus for procurement and that would have helped our domestic farmers a large number of our domestic farmers and would have led to uh, i think a uh, more procurement for the public distribution system uh there were also an export business uh, 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 some kind of business uh, uh, entity that could have been built in rather than going for a, a direct ban on exports uh, which basically doesn't help uh, the farmers or even uh, the consumers in that sense because it doesn't have large impact on prices whatever may be the claims uh, of the commerce minister i think uh, we have to put it in a context of, uh, of overall agricultural policy and i'm uh, talking about not just the policy of exports but also policies in terms of incentives market intervention sugar is a very good example which is what professor mahinder they talked about that we have been a global player and we have been doing it and there is absolutely no necessity at this point of time 
to press the panic button and go for uh, restricting exports of uh, sugar to tell them dance at this point of time uh, but again uh, it's kind of a, it's such a like a it's a cascading effect you do it in one commodity and then kind of just blindly follow it on for every commodity even though it may not be uh, necessary in several of the commodities for which some of these things have been planned so i think what we need is a more cohesive a more consistent uh, a stable uh, a predictable uh, agricultural policy rather than in an ad hoc or a unjustified uh, manner you know, pressing the panic button and then again uh, allowing uh, exports for the you know, contract which have already been done and like we know now that these are issues on which there are questions being raised 2 million tons have been uh, allowed to be exported after the export ban on 13th of may based on because they were contracted earlier all of these issues have been talked about and i think it doesn't give a good picture to the domestic producers uh, or to the international producers and it will have an impact on food security uh, not just domestically but also for several of the countries which are uh, going through a crisis at this point of time not because india's export fund but generally the overall rising prices and at that point of time india would have had to play an important role rather than play a uh, role of value uh, exports and contributing to the crisis in many of the developing countries uh in fact uh, i was we were speaking to some senior uh, government officials recently on the food inflation and food security concerns and they pointed to this example of uh, pulses where you know we were usually in deficit but in 2016 17 we did have a uh, good pulses crop and we were in a position to actually ensure that we didn't need any imports uh but apparently that year because of uh, some skewed policies in procurement there was a lot of chaos and uh, the procurement agencies said they couldn't figure out storage space so they stopped procuring and in the end the farmers were left high and dry so uh, since that year again we've had a deficit in pulses because farmers stopped cultivating to the extent they did in that year so do, do you foresee this kind of uh, uh, you know change in sowing preferences in coming years uh, on wheat and sugarcane or wherever else trade policy is uh, erratic and unpredictable professor dev you know this sowing uh, <coughs> preferences uh, uh, you know it may not change that much uh, uh, because you know rice and wheat uh, uh, there are incentives for uh, you know all the subsidies are given to rice and wheat in fact rice wheat sugarcane occupy about 80% of the water uh, entire agriculture sector so that way whether it is sustainable uh, you know we are talking about punjab haryana you know the water table is going down uh, but of course we have to give alternatives to them we, they can't change overnight you know rice and wheat uh, to other crops so uh, with the because all the preferences are for uh, you know the su- support is given for rice and wheat other crops are uh, you know not given that much so for example we need uh, diversification of crops uh, you know to uh, other pulses oil seeds fruits vegetables and also uh, milk and other uh, things so uh, otherwise it's not sustainable to you know rice in fact exports of rice and wheat some people say for example dr ms somanathan said we are exporting water uh, because we are giving all kinds of subsidies 
and water and then exporting to other countries they are benefiting much more so we have to see this uh, you know agriculture policy uh, in a wider perspective uh, over time and the climate change impacts and all uh, you know so uh, so but this as himanshu mentioned this ad hoc ad hocism you know one one year you export and next year uh, you ban it has been happening with uh, most of the commodities you know like uh, uh, onions the uh, wheat and uh, wheat of course we are not a big player because uh, the maximum we had is 7 million tons exports out of 200 million tons of uh, uh, trade so we need to have a you know wider uh, uh, you know policy things on agriculture policy uh, in diversification is also important for diversified diet because we are talking about food security but nutrition security is also important the many poor are not able to have diversified diet they are more uh, cereal oriented they are not able to buy pulses and uh, oil seeds or uh, eggs and uh, meat so uh, i think we need to have affordable uh, diversified diet for food and nutrition security can i can i come in on this uh, question i think i think you raised a very very important issue and let me uh, uh, use this example give you an example of uh, what is happening to oil seeds for example the other commodity which has seen a massive increase in prices is oil seeds and we have been uh, importing roughly 60% of our total consumption of oil seeds which is quite a large Uh, part of total oil seeds. It's something that needs to be encouraged. Uh, diversification into cultivation of oil seeds. That's good for environment. That is good for our uh, topography. Our uh, climate is suitable for it. Some of the dry land areas, some of the black soil areas, is where we can actually have uh, certainly an advantage of uh, uh, more production, increasing production in uh, some of these uh, oil seeds. But as the prices have gone up. what the government did was to uh, reduce the import duty on palm oil and the cheaper palm oil is definitely going to uh, reduce the prices in the market but that will be at the cost of the farmer not going to enjoy the benefits of higher prices now this is remember this is something which is going to reduce the prices as far as consumers are concerned but it is at the cost of the farmer so we are in a sense penalizing the farmer who could have actually shifted the production towards oil seeds which is what we need because we import 60% of it uh, but we they, they can't compete with the cheaper palm oils without any uh, import duties so we have actually have a policy in a sense penalizes uh, the farmers at the cost of the consumers because consumers always get preference uh, whether it is pulses whether it is oil seeds and in all of these uh, commodities Uh, you mentioned the 2016 pulses example. That's a very good example of it. That just just at the time when the farmers were able to reap higher prices and benefit from uh, higher pulse prices, the government uh, dumped uh, imports of pulses from Mozambique and various other countries, and uh, that led to the collapse of uh, pulse prices. Since then, farmers have been very hesitant to go into pulse production, uh, although it has grown up uh, over a period of time. Uh, but again, the risks are always there. The risk of a faulty policy, muddled policy, which uh, can actually uh, dampen your uh, prospects and your uh, crop output price product uh, prospects. So I think uh, not just wheat and sugarcane. I think it's a full spectrum, and particularly pulses and edible oil, which are very, very important sources of nutrition, which Professor Davis talked about, because our major protein sources are from pulses, and also edible oil, which is an essential ingredient. 
where we have now going from self-sufficiency in the beginning of the 1990s to completely dependent on uh, imports. Uh, trade policy has a lot to play in that. Yeah, I mean, basically on the, you know, since independence, uh, we are, uh, you know, uh, I mean, favoring the consumers at the ex- expense of the farmers. Uh, so th- that policy has to be changed. Uh, you know, the farmers have, uh, the situation assessment survey showed that the farmers' incomes are low. In fact, from cultivation, you get only rupees uh, 127 per day, uh, you know, 2018-19 survey showed. So uh, we have to think of the farmers' families because they also have expenses uh, like, uh, you know, health, education, and uh, also agriculture inputs and all. So we have to think of farmers. But on the consumer side, uh, you know, we have uh, uh, we have to think of a larger one. Uh, for example, the employment, rural employment, and rural wages. Uh, you know, agriculture laborers, non-agriculture uh, laborers. Uh, so that kind of purchasing power for them to have food security, and then the social protection programs like uh, Narega, and then these uh, uh, National Food Security Act and PM uh, GKAY. Those kind of uh, things are needed to uh, no, support the consumers rather than reducing the farm prices. So how does this fit in? Uh, you know, of course, you've sort of already pointed this out that farmer incomes are critical. But, you know, you remember the government had talked about doubling farm incomes by 2022. Uh, but in the initial years of its uh, this particular government, we saw that MSP hikes were kept low because they were concerned about inflation going high. Now, when inflation is going high and food prices are going up, again, uh, they're clamping down on, you know, avenues for farmers to sell. So, you know, how does this play out in terms of, you know, this whole goal of doubling of farm incomes? And uh, is that still, is that like a pipe dream? Uh, If you see the data, you know, 2013, uh, farmers were getting 6,400. And 2018-19, around 7,700 7, uh, in real, real terms. So that's about 21% increase in six years. Uh, that is about 3.5% per annum. So you need 10% per annum to double the farm uh, incomes. And from cultivation, uh, farmers are, uh, you know, as I mentioned that they are getting in, uh, only rupees 127 per, per day. Uh, so they have to get from also from uh, non-farm income because cultivation alone may not be sufficient for them so they are getting from wages non-farm business income and then uh, animal uh, you know livestock and others other things so cultivation alone is not uh, enough i mean i think uh, everybody knew whenever that announcement was made that this is impossible when it has not happened in the past and uh, it is it was unlikely to happen at this kind of a situation that we were when the economy was slowing down. Remember, this announcement was made in 2017 when the economy was in the middle of a slowdown. And at that point of time, but even in the best of the times in agriculture, doubling of uh, incomes in agriculture in real terms was not something that was likely to happen. So I don't think anybody took it seriously in that sense. The second, I think, is point which I must clarify, that farmers' incomes are not just dependent on output prices. Remember, income is output prices, uh, total revenue minus total costs. And during the same period that we have seen the output prices go up, we also seen have input prices go up. And input prices basically, I mean, obviously wages have not grown to that extent. 
but certainly fertilizer and energy prices, petroleum prices, electricity prices, all of these prices have gone up. So I, I mean, you can have a very weird situation where our prices have been going up very faster, but at the same time, input prices also go faster than the output prices. And farmers actually be losing, I mean, uh, uh, making losses rather than uh, incomes increasing at the time of prices increasing of outputs. And I think uh, one has to look at the input cost uh, issue also, uh, uh, particularly at this point of time, when fertilizer prices, petroleum prices, all of these. Right now, the government is absorbing a part of the cost by subsidizing the fertilizer prices and petroleum, unless to the in case of petroleum energy cost. But I don't think that uh, farmers are benefiting much. And even during this last six months when there have been a massive increase in prices, uh, a large part of the uh, benefit has gone to the traders and speculators who are basically hoarded uh, in terms of their ability to uh, sell it at a higher prices at a later point of time, rather than farmers on the ground. Some farmers have definitely benefited, but a large majority of the farmers are not uh, capable enough of taking advantage of this kind of sudden rising prices or they have the holding capacity to stock, uh, put it in uh, storage, and then wait for the right time to do that. Speculator status may have been, but I don't think that's something which is acceptable for a large, I mean, it's a true for large majority of small and marginal farmers, which account for 80% of our total farming community. This, in fact, brings me to this uh, other claim that the food minister made earlier this week, where he said that, you know, uh, all those who are calling the export uh, curbs as an anti-farmer move, uh, would like to know that uh, take note that procurement of wheat after the ban has only achieved about six lakh tons of uh, uh, wheat coming in from farmers. So he argued that you know this implies that farmers had already sold all their produce and there's not much left with them to begin with. Does that hold water uh, from both of you? If you? I mean, uh, anybody who knows about agriculture. Uh, would know it. And remember, the procurement season is almost over by 15th of May. You are announcing an export ban on 13th of May. I mean, you you can't be simply be expecting farmers to be uh, still holding on and waiting for the government to put an export ban and then basically uh, go and sell it to the government. Procurement season is almost over. Then what do you expect? And remember, at that point of time, I mean, government was aware that prices were rising. If they really were serious about procuring, they would have given a bonus, which is what Professor Mandadev talked about. And that would have basically would have meant that they would not, did not have had to uh, take recourse to export ban or any kind of draconian measures or sudden measures as you are taking now. So what he's saying is something is not very surprising, but he should be aware of it that the procurement says that are almost over. Dr. Dev? On, uh, you know, minimum support prices you are talking about, uh, I think Karif season now, they, they have to announce uh, after some time. I think the uh, input prices, which, uh, you know, Himanshu mentioned, uh, if you take into account, they have to increase the minimum support prices, uh, this uh, next Karif. Uh, I don't know how much they will increase. Uh, we don't know. Uh, but of course, that helps more rice, wheat and uh, up to pulses uh, to some extent. Uh, but in general, uh, you know, it increase also will benefit the market prices. So I think uh, CACP has to take into account this uh, input prices. So lastly, I wanted to get a sense of, you know, just a couple of years ago, we had the government pursuing these uh, three massive farm reform legislations. 
uh, where the whole premise was that you know farmers will have freedom to sell whom to uh, whom they want to and when they want to at what price they want to uh, but hypothetically if those laws would have uh, survived and you know become law of the land uh, would these kind of policy interventions uh, sit in with it professor dev you could start uh, yeah i mean the farm laws uh, you know my stand has been um, you know uh, since 2003 we have been talking about uh, this uh, farm laws model uh, act and all so my uh, uh, stand is that we would leave it to states uh, center can give some guidelines and all but uh, they should not have this uh, laws at central level but it should be done by states because in india a large country you cannot have uh, one kind of thing for entire uh, country with uh, so many uh, variations in uh, soil climate and other uh, uh, things so uh, i think uh, uh, the so each state can uh, you know check what what can be done what is possible uh, there rather than center imposing uh, you know three farm laws i i, I think the last three months have been a good example of the futility of uh, the farm laws in a sense if you see it now itself the my, my commerce minister himself is saying that farmers have sold at a higher price uh, and they've already sold it to uh, wherever they wanted to because the government was able to pick up only less than 20 million tons less than half of what the total target itself was so farmers obviously had avenues they if they wanted to sell it to the private payers they did manage to sell it despite uh, any change in the market infrastructure or architecture or institutional mechanism the problem was not about the farm laws in terms of what is what everyone was trying to put in in the, uh, the markets or it's the nature of agricultural markets and the prices and the vulnerability of the farmers if there are higher prices markets will basically work irrespective of what kind of market structure is there remember this time when the private sector has procured a large part of the total uh, surplus that is available in the market they have done it without the farm laws and it can happen in other cases also the problem is only when the prices are low that is when you need the government to kick in and that is what exactly the point of a minimum support price is the minimum support price is a support price and even with the reforms even with the laws having passed that does not mean that the government has no role or no obligation to uh, go and procure intervene in the market when the market prices collapse and that's what government has been saying that the msp system is going to remain and it will basically work in that sense so i think uh, this is a good example of how uh, the whole uh, laws in that sense were I mean, the bogey was created that these were the only barrier to farmers not achieving higher prices but now the government itself is saying that farmers have got high prices and therefore nullifying the entire argument on which this whole premise and the whole premise on which the farmers were based but i do agree with him and i think i must reiterate the point that professor they made that at the end of it it is what the states have to decide and it has to be crop specific it has to be what works for horticulture crops may not be right for food crops what works for cereals may not work for all seeds and what works for cash crops like cotton and other crops may not work for other crops so i don't think we need to have a fit in one size fits all policy dominated by the center to take care of the kind of problems that we have in agricultural marketing and infrastructure and uh, price policy uh, so i i think uh, some degree of uh, state autonomy 
and states being allowed to take care of the problem, uh, design these uh, reforms, which they have been doing for the last 20 years, is the best way rather than having a centralized uh, approach to dealing with all Thank you. Just taking that thought forward, since I wanted to close this particular loop, uh, one is this, if the center has to restrict its role in agriculture, and it, it would also possibly manifest itself in aspects like trade policy and, uh, you know, food uh, uh, stock limits and so on. What are the things that in at the center the government can do to, you know, make sure that going forward agricultural policy as such is clearer, uh, more stable and it leads us to self-sufficiency as well as possibly uh, avenues for exporting uh, surplus to the world in several food items. Uh, could both of you weigh in on? Yeah, I mean, the uh, agriculture, uh, you know, center has some role. I mean, like uh, the MSP and uh, those kind of things you cannot uh, remove uh, now because uh, it has been there for a long time and buffer stock policy and then PDS. So those things, uh, some people say that, uh, you know, you remove that and have cash transfers and all. But that may not be, you know, uh, you can have some experiments, but uh, uh, you cannot have reduce, uh, you know, uh, remove PDS and uh, buffer stock and MSP policy. Uh, and also there is a need to improve uh, uh, public investment in agriculture, uh, both by center and uh, states. Uh, uh, so, uh, so and also leave many of the things to states because uh, agriculture is a state subject and uh, 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 including uh, exports and other things also more states can take uh, more lead in uh, several policies. So, uh, uh, center has some role in uh, some of these things that uh, MSP and other things, but uh, other other things like marketing, uh, uh, other things they should leave it to the states, APMCs and uh, private sector mark, marketing infrastructure, those kind of things. Professor Imanshu? Yeah, I, I think that uh, one thing is which, which is very clear is that the trade policy by its nature and by law, by the constitutional arrangement that we have, has to be with the center. I mean, states do not decide on export and import policy. That is always decided by the center. But it has to be in consultation with the stakeholders. And, uh, and I think that is where the center will have to be more receptive towards uh, listening to not just states but also to its ministries. I mean, the Commerce Ministry doesn't talk to the Agriculture Ministry. It doesn't talk to the Food and Consumer Affairs Ministry. And that is something which is a far greater problem. The second, I think, is where Centre will have to play a greater role is interstate trade. Within the state trade, I think, is where state will have to play a role. But uh, interstate trade facilitation, that requires more investment. It requires uh, uh, cleaning up of regulatory framework, all of these issues, which are by the design of it, by nature of it, it's, it's something which is where the center will have to play a role. The problem is not that the what role that center plays and what the states play. The problem is the advocism in the policy, where the interventions are more uh, discriminatory uh, to the farming sector, more uh, to the, the farming community, than, uh, uh, than, than helping them out, helping the farmers. Uh, the, the point was basically not about the center and state. It's also about uh, what kind of policies. And I think there is uh, certainly a role to be played by the center. There is certainly a role to be played by the state. What is needed is a better coordination between the center and the states, but also between uh, various ministries which help the farmers, the fertilizer ministry, 
power ministry agriculture ministry and the commerce ministry and the food and consumer affairs you know dealing with a number of ministries which work in silos and do not talk to each other that i think is really dangerous uh, for the farmers and i think at some point of time we have to think of our policies where we are helping the farmers rather than penalizing them for uh, any kind of inflation that happens at the cost of consumers or in terms of uh, i mean the burden of responsible i mean managing macroeconomic stability consumer welfare food security everything environmental security all of this cannot be at the i mean all on the farmer side the farmer also has to deliver the second i think is where i think the center has a clearly defined role is uh, on food security is something where center has had interventions and it has actually been uh, doing much more and but it needs to have a policy paradigm which allows more diversification i am of the belief that our farmers are in a position to diversify into oil seeds proteins for example pulses and other nutritious uh, products but they are not able to do simply because most of the time the government policy is working against the farmer rather than supporting the farmers uh, in terms of uh, giving them a stable and a protected environment of uh, moving into uh, other crops which may be more necessary for food security environmental concern profitability of farmers and various other things so i think uh, the question is not about center and state but it's more about does our agricultural policy actually help the farmers achieve uh more income uh, more uh, uh, contribute to food security and various other uh, requirements that agriculture is supposed to fulfill you know given the uh, nature of the subject and the multiple dimensions that uh, are you know implicitly in, involved in the farm sector i know both of you can uh, and uh, me can possibly chat uh, on this for far longer than <laughs> we could uh, uh allow for the podcast but uh, i think what you've given us is a lot of food for thought in a manner of speaking uh and also for our readers and who are as consumers may possibly consider these export bans and other steps as you know measures aimed at protecting them i'm sure they will uh, leave uh, with uh, a greater clarity on what this really means uh, for india's food security and i hope it leads to more informed perceptions uh, uh better debate a quality on these policy issues and of course it translates into better policy from the center as well as the states uh, over time uh, so that we don't find ourselves in these uh, you know knee jerk export bans import duties reduction systems uh, every year and every few years uh, uh, so on that note i would like to thank both of you dr uh, my espanjo dev as well as professor himanshu thank you so much for taking out time and uh, we hope to host you again soon in a future edition of the parlay thank you thank you thank you thank you